The A5 Dis team has created a podcast to empower you, the learners we serve. This podcast features conversations that illuminate the topics that are important to you. It is our hope that you will walk away with new tips, tricks, and ideas to inspire you as a whole educator. Hey guys, we're the DIS team and you're listening to iTalks. It's the podcast with illuminating conversations that empower the learners we serve. So typically on Fridays when we meet as a DIS team, we will have roundtable discussions resulting from teachers' questions throughout the week. Many ideas and initiatives have evolved from these talks. We now invite you into the conversation. In an effort to support the learners we serve and help you connect better with us, we have aptly named this episode style Disconnect Ed. Today, we will be answering questions submitted by our A5 teachers. Let's get started. So hi guys, I'm Danae Acker and I serve Westside High School and TL Hannah High School. I'm Ashley Persley and I serve Glenview Middle. I'm Melissa Looney and I serve Whitehall Elementary, CF Reams, AIT, and Special Ed. I'm Erin Darnell, and I serve Centerville, Midway, West Market, and the Early Learning Preschools. I'm Anna Baldwin, and I am the Director of E-Learning and Integration for Anderson School District 5. I'm Sherry Ritchie, and I serve McLeese Elementary School and Homeland Park Elementary School. Hi, I'm Mel Hahn, and I serve Robert Anderson Middle School. I am Paige Mitchell, and I serve Concord, Nevitt Forest, and North Point. Hey everyone, I'm Alicia Madison and I serve Calhoun Academy, New Prospect, and South Fan. Hey everyone, I'm Adam Cobb and I serve Varennes Elementary and Southwood Academy of the Arts. And I'm Beth Brannon, I serve McCants Middle School. All right, so let's go into our first question. We had one teacher ask, with the new technology, what kinds of apps will we be able to use to enhance student engagement? I think it's important to note here that the new technology is just the hardware piece. A lot of the apps and um, engagement tools that we use come from the web. So you're going to be able to use that no matter what device you have. You know, the technology is just another tool that you have have as a, as a teacher, uh, another tool for your toolbox. It doesn't necessarily uh, mean that you are going to utilize it every day and um, all the time, but it's just another uh, opportunity for you to pull that tool out to utilize it, So, or just another tool for you to engage your students in your content in your classroom. Paige, what would you like to say? That it's important to think about the, the content that you have overall, so what your lesson is about and what your students' needs are, and then you can take those needs and find tools that fit them. Erin, you got anything to say? Yeah, I was just going to add straight to that, is that you, you look at your end goal, your objective, where you're wanting the students to be able to go, and then from there you back up, and that's how you know which tool is going to be best to suit the needs that you need for that objective. My question actually has to do with what type of tools would be best for um, recording yourself. So the teacher says, what can be used to record me actually teaching a lesson that may last 10 to 15 minutes? 
um, specifically guided reading lessons or other lessons. I think that's a great opportunity for a discussion on flipped classrooms and how we can, you know, we've had a interesting time um, the last few months of school and how we can take our instruction and create these videos through Screencastify or Google Meet mm -hmm. um, and create the videos and then turn them around for our students to use at home um, for the parents to access mm -hmm. because they may not understand what is being taught in the classroom and so it's just while it's been a frustrating time period for us that we've learned so much more about what we can do with technology and how it how to implement it in education. Aaron. And you know, in my mind, we imme I immediately went to Screencastify, like Paige mentioned. Um, and even Flipgrid, they've upped their times to 15 minutes, I believe. So those are two great tools to be able to show yourself teaching the content and then to be able to push it out to students so that they can watch it, pause it, and be able to reflect and think about it um, for their own. So it's moving towards that personalized learning piece as well. So speaking of a tech tool, why is Nearpod so great? I'm still not on board with the best use of it. So Nearpod to me is an amazing tool that can be used uh, in the classroom. Do you guys wanna to talk to that? Um, I love Nearpod. I think that every school has different ways that they utilize it and every subject has a different way that they utilize it. But for me, um, especially, Nearpod does a great job with integrating those kids in your classroom who might need additional um, modifications. They added Immersive Reader, which allows you to hear the actual, um, the tool can actually read it for them. And they, you can change font for kids that might struggle with focus uh, and colors. And, and you are not having to recreate, which is so great with Nearpod, things that you already love to use. So you can upload them and create them, but then the Nearpod allows you to make them interactive and more engaging for your kids. I think with Nearpod being fairly new, I think that's a question a lot of teachers have of how can I use it best to serve the needs of the students. And I especially like the student pace mm. and that teachers um, can let students work at their own pace. Um, there are also um, tons of lessons that are already in there. And I think just sitting down and exploring some of their library of lessons and editing what's already there can save you a ton of time. Um, I think another great way to use Nearpod, it kind of changes your whole way of teaching. Um, it allows you to project student work um, onto the board to have students analyze each other's work um, and you can do that with um, anonymously no names have to be up there so you can instead of asking you know a child to come up to the board who normally wouldn't that child now has an opportunity to mm -hmm. explain their work anonymously you can also analyze each other's work and talk about okay well where was the error here how can we fix the error so it not only changes the students way of completing assignments but it com changes completely the way that you teach in your classroom as well mm -hmm. um, with that feature Aaron? Yeah, and it allows you to give real-time feedback and get real-time feedback from your mm -hmm. students. So you can immediately see what are they understanding, what are they not understanding, and then be able to, you know, on the fly, change your instruction to meet their needs. Um, but also on the back end, when you're finished with your lesson, you can go back and look at the results of those interactive things that you put in so that you can gather that data, look at that data, and be able to use that data moving forward in your instruction. And so with Nearpod, it, it, it keeps all of that information in the lesson so that you can even go back 
to a week ago and look at that information if you just didn't have time to pull it up right then and there you can go back to it and get back to it and then mel to speak towards um, the accommodations with immersive reader they actually have beta right now where as teachers are building their lessons if they put in an open-ended question they can actually turn on and enable the ability for students to audio record their response rather than having to type it in and so i feel like um, that could be a game changer for a lot of students who you know, it might take them a really long time to type, but they could verbally tell you what, and if the, again, what is the objective? If the objective is to get to what they know, I don't care how you show it to me, whether you type it or say it, I just wanna know, do you know this information? So I know, I know there's a lot of teachers out there who love slides. Slides can go into the Nearpod, mm -hmm. um, but I believe Nearpod just allows you to integrate vocabulary and it allows you to have those, those 360 tours and it lets you take students on field trips and it lets you um, have those uh, interactives, the FET simulation interactives that allow you to look at things and manipulate them in ways that you wouldn't be able to do. And you can take all these great tools that are on all these different platforms and be able to you know, curate them and bring them together in a Nearpod for your students. Paige, did you want to add to the conversation? I was just saying that many of the tools, the web-based tools that we already use, the Flipgrid I think has just started to integrate in with Nearpod, um, and then they have the time to, time to grow? Climb. Time to climb um, mm -hmm. gaming activity that the kids are really loving if mm -hmm. that's not something that's been explored yet. And all you have to do is ask your disc to kind of walk through things with you. There's a lot of things in your pod and it's just a learning experience to get in and try it. This brings up a great question. You guys were talking about feedback. I think Paige and Erin both mentioned feedback. We had a good question from a teacher that said, how can I give feedback to students and they be able to open it and correct it? So when I read this question, I thought about um, Google Docs and Sheets and Slides um, since Google uh, G Suite for Education is kind of our primary platform in Anderson 5, that when you are in docs, sheets, and slides, as a teacher, if you're looking at student work, you can um, highlight a sentence that you want a student to go back and review, and if you uh, type the plus sign and the student's email address, and you can leave them a comment on uh, what you'd like them to do with that sentence. And actually, there is an assign button um, below that, so you can actually assign it to that student. So if you have multiple students in one document, you can assign different comments to different students or different users. So that's a great way to uh, give feedback and then have those students go and resolve those comments. Um, there are also audio comments. So if you, um, if you make a lot of comments within a document, typing might not be your your thing, you can actually audio record comments within Google Docs and you just add um, that app to be able to record audio and have students be able to hear your feedback. The DIS team would like to thank you for listening to iTalks, empowering the learners we serve. Today's episode is all about answering your EdTech questions. Would you like to join in on our conversation or do you have a burning question that we can answer at our next roundtable? Then enter your question on the form entitled Ask a Dis, which is now available on the A5 Digital Toolkit website. For now, let's get back to the conversation. Um, many of you have asked us about specific resources, and I love this question. Um, it says that I would love to create my own app. What's the best way to do this? Um, what are some good programs to use? And what are the most helpful videos? Well, uh, actually, 
it's funny, but um, we go to these conferences and we learn so much. And what's great about having a team is that you can utilize your team to remind you of the things that you've tried out. And so I was laughing because when we sat down and I saw this question, I had tried this app and I was creating our own app, our own disc app, but I still had to ask Aaron, what was that thing called that we did? You know, the specific name of it, but it's actually called Glide and you can actually make your own app using Google Sheets. So many of you are used to using Excel or a Google Sheet. We hope that you've moved yourself to Google. Um, and what you do with the sheet is you put what you, uh, the different headings you want on your app and where you want it to go. And many of the teachers that were in the session that I saw, uh, they actually did projects where students actually added their project to an app and then the app was shared with parents so that they could see what the kids worked look like and it was fabulous and so i would challenge you to look at the glide app uh, it's a wonderful platform and very easy to use and user friendly uh, of course your disc is always your most important resource but i know there's many youtubers out there which is also a google product i want to say and so if you have to google how to use a glide app i think that you'll probably be able to get some great resources but Erin, you want to talk to us something about that? Uh, yeah, so the Glide app is really great. And I know that you and I were looking into to building apps for it and using Google Sheets. Um, but if Google Sheets kind of scares you, then there's another way that you can kind of build apps. And it's a little bit more kid-friendly, and it's through code.org. And when you go to code.org, you'll click on projects up there at the top menu where all the other um, icons are. And then you scroll down just a little bit. And it has a space where you can start a new project. And one of the projects that you can start is App Lab. And so when you go into the App Lab, you can actually have it set up to where it looks just like coding. And it's got those code blocks. And you slide the blocks over. And as you're building the code, it shows you over on the left what the app's going to start looking like for your stuff. Um, and if you have students that you want to kind of, you know, that are more advanced or you want to, or you want to push them a little bit more, you can change it from the code blocks to the actual coding of text. And so it takes it both ways so that you can scaffold kind of where your students are in coding, but also help them to understand that this is how apps are created. And you can actually create an app for content that you're learning about within your classroom. And you know, if this was on a choice board for students, would you like to build an app about the Civil War or would you like to do a slides presentation on the Civil War? I wonder which way they would go. So it's just helping them put the learning into their hands, which, you know, personalized learning is big and we really want to help teachers move towards personalized learning for their students. This is a great way and a great tool to do that, um, just allowing them you know, how would you like to display the information? How would you like to, what would you like to create to show your knowledge of the content? And creating an app is just one of many things that, you know, students would be able to do. So again, Glide is the app that you can do through Sheets or Code.org Projects um, App Lab. I think Aaron brought up a really important part is putting the learning in the students' hands. And the question that I have uh, from a teacher is kind of twofold. It talks about um, that you know, e-learning really turned us up on our heads and it canceled a lot of things. It canceled how we did things in the classroom, but it also canceled uh, some of kids' favorite part of the year, which is field trips. 
Um, so the question asks, if we're unable to have field trips and my kindergartners can't use Google Expedition or Google Goggles, is there a way to take a virtual field trip? So the first thing that I thought about um, was Google My Maps, where students can begin using that online mapping tool that often we use to plan our vacations or wherever we're going. But um, you know, it's also not that students are just creating and pinpointing locations and describing locations and creating these virtual field trips through Google. Um, for the kindergartner, you know, obviously that may be a little bit harder. Um, and so you as the teacher could begin to create those virtual field trips and you can design specifically exactly where you want your students to go, put those notes in. And then the cool thing is you can share those with other teachers around the district and around all of Google. Nearpod also has that excellent um, virtual tour part built into their platform. Um, so those experiences that we may not have, um, not all students have like the beach, for instance, um, you could take them right there. And they have 360 views on the program that takes them to those different locations and lets them have the experience that they might not have. The zoo is one of them, too. I remember part of that. Yeah, and to build on that, um, Google My Maps allows you to put pictures in. So if you're thinking of your kindergartners, that helps them to kind of experience it to be able to see it and have those deep discussions about, well, what do you see going on in there? And it's so powerful when the little little students get to actually move the screen and explore and look up and down. And um, the question said that the students can't use the virtual reality because of the fact that developmentally it's not appropriate for the students. In case anybody out there was wondering, well, why can't they wear the goggles? That's what they're referring to. Um, the, it's best practice is not to put it on students that are that young, but they still love to have it on a screen and to be able to drag and look all over. Um, and then also Google Tour Builder allows you to create, again, pictures and you put in those things, but you can actually create basically your own VR field trip through Google Tour Builder. So you can make it super relevant to the students. So, you know, yes, these field trips are fantastic, but you can also do a field trip to things that they're used to seeing so that you can explore a little bit more and use their experiences and their schema and the knowledge that they already have with what's around them to then build on things they don't know about. So, you know, take it within what they already experienced and then you can take it outside of that to say, okay, remember how we talked about this here? Well, it's just like that if we look at this over here. And so it's a great way of making those connections for them even if they can't physically leave the building. Yeah, and it's strongly encouraged, too, that, you know, when you're going out and exploring places on your own, um, whether it be on summer break or spring break or Christmas vacation or just a, a weekend that you have, um, that you're taking those photographs, you know, and asking to use the Theta 360 cameras and things like that so that, you know, maybe your class can't go, but you can go and explore those and take those pictures and bring them back to your class. Because, you know, Google is out there with all these different images that they have to offer, but nothing is like that firsthand point of view that you have that you can create because you can get as specific as you want to with those photographs if you have um, that capability. And also to take virtual field trips to another level, think about the five senses. So you have the, um, the pictures to show them exactly what it is. Let's say for the beach example, you know, you have those pictures of the beach, but why not bring in sand so that they can feel? Why not bring in, um, you know, some type of spray where you can smell the ocean breeze or suntan lotion, the sound, um, go on YouTube and find beach sound. So you can almost just create a whole experience in your classroom without necessarily going. So you can just add small little things and small details 
to the My Maps and the Google Tour Builder to really create an awesome experience for your students. And don't forget to bring the classroom in with you as well. I think that mm-hmm. bounces directly off what Danae was saying. Room transformations. Yeah, the room transformations. Yes. You know, and if you're not familiar with that, Hope and Wade King are your go-tos, um, elementary shenanigans, and um, get your teach on. So hit, hit them up, you know, see what they're doing in their classrooms, but feel free to flip it on your own. I also think that the ability to collaborate within those tools is huge. Mm-hmm. I mean, to be if you have a classroom and you're studying the presidents and you divide your kids up into groups and they all are sharing the same My Map or uh, virtual tour builder and they're adding their information about their president, when you're done, you have all the presidents, you mm-hmm. know, up to date. And that could be a study tool. It could be, I mean, it's their work, their product. Um, just having kids collaborate. I think we collaborate as educators, but I think sometimes we're a little leery about allowing mm-hmm. our kids to collaborate. But these are skills they're going to have to have when they graduate and go out into the world, regardless of what job they have or if they go to higher ed. Um, so we want to teach them how to collaborate, what that looks like. And so this is just another tool that we can use um, and have them work together to create something that is collaborative within your content area. And it puts the, you know, the learning in the hands of the student. A lot of the times we as teachers try to think about ways to excite kids about what they're learning. And I think the MyMaps tool or the Tour Builder is a great way for, you know, you to put it in the hands of the learner and let them kind of explore and gain curiosity and pose questions um, about what they're seeing. You know, I think we're talking about the presidents and things like that and, you know, putting Mount Rushmore. Why were those presidents specifically included mm-hmm. there and having the students pose those questions? Paige? There was a program, Alicia, you're going to have to help me out on this, um, that we explored that kind of, instead of just looking at the presidents and things of the past, is kind of make it more relevant to what they have going on in their lives right now. So, like, if we, if we went over to um, AIT, and kind of explored that building, we could take cameras with us and use the app to take the 360 pictures, and then they could create their own virtual experience. Do you remember what that app was called? Street View. Awesome, that's it, it's Google Street View that you can use to add in those pictures. I think it's great that we're talking about students creating products, um, not only for themselves and their learning experiences, but also for the real world. Um, John Spencer and AJ Giuliani mentioned in the book Empower that, you know, you're not really talking about consumers versus creators. There's sort of this scaffolded stage process Mm -hmm. that learners can go through to become creators. So they might not be able to create an amazing virtual reality tour their first go around, but if they experience them first, if they sort of replicate one that's already made, Um, then you can walk them through the scaffolds that will get them to that expert level of creating a really amazing product. I think that goes for teachers too. So, so many times we have tools that we're not sure about using or we don't know how to engage. And so many questions on our table today are about that, mm-hmm. about the, what can we use? What, you know, what can we do? And once you get a tool, we want you to know it's okay to fail forward. Mm-hmm. Um, that is the best way. It might not look like an expert when the first time you do it. That's why it's great to uh, contact your dis in your building so that they can be there to kind of um, walk you through it and and engage with your students with you and uh, give you some uh, feedback on how to make it better. But I'm telling you, once you used it once, even if it was a total fail, try it again mm-hmm. because you're going to get better and better and better at it and you're going to become an expert. 
you can be innovative with these tools in using the same tool many different ways. So if you take Google Slides, for example, students might create magazines with Google Slides or um, books, or they might create stop motion videos with Google Slides. You can use them in so many different ways. So just because you feel like you've learned a tool and you know a tool, go ahead and explore that same tool's use in a variety of different ways. We have a great um, way that some of our teachers have been using Google Slides, and it's very impressive if you ever see it. Um, they use it to create a museum, a virtual museum. And it's just really neat to see the graphics that they pull into a slideshow and they give it the three-dimensional look of the content they're adding to it. So students can actually go into this museum and they can learn the content or students can create their own museums and be able to share what they've learned about content. Okay, so a teacher was asking, is there any way to create a student blog? And um, I know teachers sometimes are hesitant to um, have things online that the students publish to. Um, I know um, some of you might have some ideas that teachers have used. I know that one teacher used an, a Google Doc and had students comment and change the color based on the student and you could keep up with the threads and comments that way and it was an interactive doc and the teacher could publish it to a Google site. But um, are there any other things you can think of that uh, teachers could create a student blog? For your older students or even for your elementary students, um, have them create a Google site and publish to the blog to, or have a blog page to their Google site. Um, then you can share that link with parents um, or other teachers in the building and they're because it's being published and shared out to families and other people, the work and the quality of stu that the students give you will totally blow you away because now they know it's not just something that they're checking off for a grade, it's something that's actually going to be shown to somebody other than the teacher. And so uh, students will surprise you um, if you give them an opportunity to share their work more globally than just in the classroom. I'll speak to that a little for the for the little ones. Um, we use a lot of the classrooms use Seesaw, mm -hmm. and that is a great platform for parents to have an inside view of what's going on inside of the classroom. Teachers can post pictures, um, and the parents only see for that child. So it's not that they're seeing the whole classroom and everybody's work, but to be able to comment or just say, hey, great job, buddy, on that assignment gives them just that little taste inside the classroom that gives them that freedom to feel that they're a part of it. So that's one other tool that can be used. And to go along with what tools to use that would be able to allow for blogging, I actually saw that was shared out during e-learning. A middle school teacher uh, just had her students use slides, and each day was a different blog post to that blog. Then the student was able to, you know, put in those pictures and format it and actually make it look really professional through that slide. Mm -hmm. um, and so slides again, and Ashley, this goes towards what you were talking about, even if you know how to use a tool one way, there's mm -hmm. other, you know, multiple uses for the same tool. Mm -hmm. So thinking outside the box of how it's um, traditionally used and then thinking towards, you know, how can I Again, like what we talked about at the very beginning, what's the objective and goal, and which tool is gonna help us meet that objective and end goal. And blogs are a great way to create 
student communication inside your classroom, but one of the ways that I've seen teachers use and I've used myself is you know you have the ability to post in the stream questions in Google Classroom um, where students can start a conversation because oftentimes I know all of us taking master's classes and things like that, the most popular way to communicate with all of your classmates is through forums. Um, and so a lot of the times, don't be afraid to let your elementary students, your middle school students, even your high school students start those forums um, and start class discussions through Google Classroom and you can track that. You can decide when to delete those comments, when to turn them off, when to turn them on, um, those sorts of things. And just creating that classroom dialogue, a lot of times you get that student who's that introvert that doesn't normally speak out, you get to see their ideas. Um, and it just keeps it inside the classroom. So if you're worried about producing out to the whole world to see, you know, that kind of keeps it close-knit in your classroom. And you can even produce a rubric to grade that, those posts on, you know, and don't be afraid to give them that college expectation. You know, you must respond to three posts, um, as well as post your own original ideas as well. Thank you. I know even for um, the younger students, having them put comments or at least share things with each other mm -hmm. you can have those digital literacy conversations mm -hmm. oh, and yes. um, digital digital citizenship conversations um, what's appropriate what's not because face it they live in a digital world where you know they they're going to be posting things they're going to be sharing and we want to make sure that we're teaching them the correct ways to do that So as we conclude our conversation, here is a final thought. Feel free to reach out to your DIS. We are by no means the experts, but we do love seeing what you are doing. When we walk into classrooms and see teachers using tools in innovative ways, it allows us to think differently about apps or Google products. So the DIS team charges you with inviting us in so we can share with other teachers what you are doing. We want to thank you for joining us on this iTalks episode of Disconnect Ed. Remember, if you have any questions for our DIS team, you can fill out the Google form on our A5 Digital Tools website, and you can also find that link on ClassLink.